All righty. Good morning, church family. Good morning. Let's give a quick shout out to the worship team. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Man, how are you guys feeling today? You guys doing good? Man, happy Sabbath. Good to see all the faces. Can't see you too much with the lights and everything, but hey, I'm really happy to have you guys out here. It's, uh, it's an honor to be able to preach. This is my second little sermon here, um, and I have my brother's help with me, so super excited about that. Not quite as nervous. I have my brother's help, so that's a blessing. Um, we're going to start out with a quick word of prayer, mostly for us, so we can get a little bit of nerves out, and Lord be with us. <laughs> all right, let's bow our heads. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this beautiful Sabbath day, Lord. Thank you so much for the spring and the birds singing and the warmer weather that's coming, Lord. Um, I know that uh, I'm a little bit, have a little bit of seasonal depression, Lord, and I know that sometimes winter kind of sucks all cold and kind of dark and gloomy, but uh, Lord, it's, it's getting to be spring and summertime, so we're super excited to uh, be able to see all your um, awesome creations and all the green and all the grass and all the trees and the birds and um, just all of nature kind of come alive again, Lord, in, in the spring and summer. And thank you for all the, the uh, seasons that you give us, Lord. Even if some people like winter more, that's okay. But I'm excited for the spring and summer. And uh, help me and Sheldon to be able to speak really well and just help uh, you to speak through us. And I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Oh, yeah, Sheldon's got to grab his mic. Get on it, man. <laughs> Take it away. on? Well, maybe. I can get another one. It's awful on. Hello? Hey, I think that one's working. Awesome. Oh, yeah. heck yeah. All there right. we go. <laughs> awesome. Let me get this next slide up here. Awesome. I want to appreciate and, and say thank you to all of our uh, friends and family out there that came to support Dawson and I. It means a lot. Uh, and also makes us a little bit more nervous, but like I said, we're happy to, to be out here and, and to be up front. Um, so obviously we've got two speakers today, you know, most of the time I think we're used to seeing, you know, one preacher, or one speaker, but uh, Dawson and I like to, you know, break the rules a little bit, so we figured we'd do a tag team sermon, and it's never really been done before, but, you know, here at TAF, we, uh, we're not afraid to try new things. So as you guys know, I know Pastor Matt is, his, you know, here recently, he's had some different guest speakers have been up, so of course, uh, and Dawson and I, we've been helping here at TAF, and, and, uh, you know, Pastor Matt, he kind of was persistent in asking us, like, hey, I need, what week do you guys want to preach? And I was not planning on preaching. I was like, I, I got to figure out a nice way to say I'm, I'm not preaching. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he was persistent, and we got down to the nitty-gritty, and he still had a couple spots left. So uh, I was like, well, I guess we'll just do it. And then that's kind of when we came up with the tag team. We're like, man, we can just bounce off each other and, and hammer this out. So, um, like I said, it's an honor to speak up, and especially in, in, you know, as the Bible says, it's an honor to be in front of people and to speak to God's people and speak on his behalf and have him work through us and, and our words. So we hope you guys enjoy. So I want you guys to, to sit back and, and think of a time uh, when you guys thought you were brave or, or had a lot of courage. Um, and while you guys are thinking about that, I'm going to tell you a little story about a time when I was, thought I was pretty uh, courageous, which is probably more courageous than any of you guys have ever been. So... Uh, so back, I grew up in Colorado, a small town, uh, and we, I kind of lived on a dead-end road, and uh, all the neighbors got together, and we, we pitched in, and we had a dumpster for our trash. So we didn't, you know, the trash, when instead of having the little rollout ones, <clears throat> we had a dumpster, and so they all pitched in, and it was, you know, being young, it, I thought it was really far ways away, but every week, you know, all uh, the neighbors and my dad, what we do, he said, hey, on Sunday night, it was my job, I had to take the trash out, and most of the time, it was dark, and I hated the dark when I was afraid. I 
and when I was young, I was scared of the dark, and most of that was because we lived kind of close to the river, and uh, sometimes we'd have black bears that would get in the trash and tip the dumpster over, so my biggest fear was like, I'm going to be walking in the trash, and it was through, I had to go all the way down to past hard drive in my dad's garage, and then all the way over through the neighbor's yard to get the dumpster, so it was like a long walk. And so I was, my biggest fear was I'm going to be carrying the trash, and then I'm just going to be walking, and a you know, bear's going to run in the bushes, and it's going to eat me and the trash, and there's going to be nothing left. So a lot of times what I'd do is I'd ask Dawson to go, and I'm supposed to be the big brother and, uh, you know, and you know, be, the, be the big guy, but I'd always ask my little brother to go, but here, Dawson, let's, you know, there's, there's something cool I want to show you, or, you know, I think there's something we need to talk about, so why don't you go to the trash with me? So when he went, I felt a lot better, but whenever he didn't go, you know, I had to dig really deep to find some courage to take the trash out. Uh, so I want to put up the, I believe it's, uh, oh, I forgot this, I, I'll skip this, it's good. This is our sermon title, go backwards a little bit, uh, we want to call it Confident Courage. So what, what I want to put up here is, what is courage? Uh, and the dictionary defines it as a mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. Uh, and I also looked up some other definitions uh, they're not going to be on the screen, but I just wanted to tell them, which I thought were pretty, pretty interesting, is uh, one definition is courage is doing what you are afraid to do. There can be no courage unless you are scared. Um, it says courage is how you react to that situation. And another one I thought was pretty interesting was fear is a reaction you have, while courage is, is a decision that you make. Um, so our sermon here, we're going to talk about three well-known stories in the Bible um, that not only portrayed uh, extreme courage, uh, but confident courage. And, and I think that some of that confident courage is something that only comes through God. All right, so the first story we're really going to talk about here is David. So everybody knows, you know, David in the Bible. He's a pretty popular guy. And uh, so David, is, we're going to be talking about the uh, first Samuel. Um, and so that's kind of just the story about the big power struggle between the Israelites and their biggest, you know, opponent is the Philistines. So, um, you know, throughout David's life, God had showed, you know, he'd been courageous and God had shown him that, you know, he had David's back, you know, at all times, um, whether it was with animals or with, you know, a, an opponent or a different person. Um, so, I mean, him, you know, God and, and David were pretty close. I mean, they're pretty tight. So, you know, David knew God had his back, and, you know, and so he was able to show a lot of confidence through his life. So we're going to start out with uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 8 through 9. So oh, hold on, hold on. I'm, get, I'm getting ahead of myself. We've got to tell a little background story here. So, you know, the, the Philistines and the, the Israelites, they're, they're, they're lining up, and, and for, it says in the Bible, for, for 40 days, the Philistines were just lining up for battle. It'd be, it'd be from dawn and then at dusk, they'd be lining up and they'd just be mocking the Israelites. You guys are a bunch of cowards. You, you come out here and fight us. Come on now. So they're, they're just sitting there just hacking on them, hacking on them at all the time. It says for 40 days and they'd line up at, you know, at dawn and at dusk just ready for battle and, and they're scared. And why were they scared? Because of Goliath. So He's a big boy. He's, he's, he's no spring chicken. He's, he's got a lot of time to grow. So he, he grew to a staggering nine and a half feet tall. So I'm not, I'm 5'10", so that's like, that's, he's, he's a pretty big boy. I mean, he's, he's probably around, I don't know, maybe, uh, I don't know, just think, I mean, he's, he's pretty tall. 
Yeah, he's pretty tall. So somewhere out there, probably around David or whatever. But I mean, that's a, that's a big boy. And I, I'm sure he's not very skinny either. I mean, he just bred for war. I mean, I'm sure he's all scarred up. He's jacked. I'm sure they're just feed, feasting that dude. And he's just down in it, just eating. He's bulking all the time. So, and he loves it, man. I mean, he, he's their champion. He just, and he, he's always mocking the Israelites. He's like, he says, uh, he says, come out here and battle. He, he says, uh, excuse me one second, I'm sorry, I got lost. Okay, so he, he's, he's looking, he, he said, is any man going to come out here and face me? He's, he's talking to all the Israelites. He said, come send one man down here to face me, and if he beats me, we'll give in and we'll, we'll be your slaves. But if I beat him, you'll become our slaves and you will do whatever we say. So, I mean, it's, it's a, lot of, a lot of line in King Saul, man, he's... He's like, man, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this one. This is just rough. And and think about this, 40 days, they're just sitting there, just nagging at him. Come on, bring it. The Philistines are all cocky with Goliath. He's out there mocking him. And, you know, sometime around, David's coming up and checking on Saul. He's like, man, he's out there screaming. What is that? What's going on here? Like, what, you guys haven't been in battle? You guys are all in your tents? You guys are scared? Be like, what's going on here? So I was like, man, there's Goliath, dude. He's like nearly 10 feet tall. Who, how are we going to take him? We're like, ah. Dave's like, dude, you got God on your side. What are you guys doing? Like, and Saul's so like, dude, you go out there and fight him. So he dresses, he dresses David in, in his finest, you know, his finest armor. He had his helmet and his, his chest plate and his sword. And he gave him his, his finest armor. And David's like, his head's bobbing, you know, it, Oh, this is kind of heavy. I'm not. I'm not really feeling this. So he strips it all off. He's like, "No, I'm going to go down to the creek. I'm going to pick a couple of stones. That's what I'm going to do. That's going to be my weapon." So, and he. I mean, the, he he had faith in God, and he was. He had all sorts of courage. I mean, he knew from the time they pick up the stones that he was going to smoke Goliath without a doubt. And it says that uh, you know. So David's like, all right, I'm going to go take care of this sucker, and I'm going to put an end to the Goliath here real soon. So he's walking up there, and it says, uh, you know, David's walking up to Goliath. Goliath looked over David, and he saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health, though, and handsome, and he despised him, just jealous. I'm sure Goliath all scarred up and everything, saw a handsome young man. He's like, ah, that sucker. So he said to David, am I a dog that you come in with your sticks? David said to the Philistine, you come in me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you with the Lord God Almighty, and that's going to be my weapon. Now, now by that time, David's not messing around. He's going he's gonna to put an end to Goliath here real soon. So, uh, and he's told, he told Goliath, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I'll strike you down and cut your head off. He told him that straight up. I mean, he, he knew he was going to smoke this guy from the get-go. That's pretty amazing. I mean, that's just pure courage before the, he even walks up there. He knew, he knew that God had his back. And he told, he told Goliath, I'll feed you and your Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. So all that gathered knew by the sword and the spear the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. That's what David said. And so <laughs> Goliath's like, all right, sucker, bring it. So pulls it out, probably just chilling. He's like, all right, man, you're, it's just say your last words, buddy, because you're going down. So he probably just puts a little rock in there, <laughs> starts swinging that thing around, and 
whammo. <laughs> Hit him right in the head and knocked Goliath out. I mean, and it says that David went up there, took Goliath's own sword. I mean, that sucker was probably huge. It was probably just as big as David. And he cut his head off just as he said he would. He had complete confidence and courage in God and he knew exactly what he was going to do so I think that's a pretty amazing story I mean he he knew from the get-go that God had his back he was not afraid even though he was a little mere more than a boy and even the whole whole army of the Israelites and Saul King Saul um, was they're all scared and David showed complete courage throughout the whole act and a little little funny fact um, that I think is pretty cool actually is is uh is David took Goliath's armor and put it in his tent in his home to kind of as a display and probably just to remind him of a, of a great battle that he won that day with God um, and uh, carried the head around for a little while too so probably showing off to the ladies man look what I got here so I think that's, that's something pretty crazy um, I think you know you can take a lot of things from that and um, it's just a, a pretty amazing story that I mean just a small boy can take out you know the strongest the strongest people, you know, with God. So, I mean, you, whether that's in your life, I mean, you can apply that to anything, whether it's a, at a job or, you know, um, you know, trying to recover from something, anything, you know, God is bigger than any of our problems. So, Sheldon's going to take us on to story number two. All right, awesome. So, next, guys, this is uh, one of my favorite Bible stories, and um, it's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, so these guys, a little, quick little background, these the guys were all three friends, and they also had a common friend, uh, his name is Daniel, who we'll get to next, so it's a little spoiler for you guys. Um, so we're going to jump in here to, in, in Daniel chapter 3. So at this time, you know, Daniel, he was working for King Nebuchadnezzar, and he held a high high position. He, he kind of managed the city's affairs uh, and was the head of all the king's advisors, so Daniel was, he, he knew what he was doing. So the story kind of fast forwards uh, and goes on to explain that, you know, Daniel had a good connection uh, with King Nebuchadnezzar, and so he kind of asked, he's like, hey, I, I got a lot on my plate, I'm very busy, I got these three guys here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, a couple buddies of mine, and, you know, I, if I could have anyone to work with, I want to work with these guys, so he kind of made a, a request to Nebuchadnezzar to have them come work and work for Daniel, be his assistant, so he kind of like hooked him up with a job as a good friend would, so the, the, it goes on to say, uh, you know, over the next 20 years, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he kind of began to change and, and kind of fall off the deep end a little bit, he became more self-focused, and a self-glorifying ruler. Uh, so it goes on the story. He, he builds, ends up, he wants to build a statue just like the one he had in his dreams long ago. Um, but this time he wanted to build it completely out of gold. Uh, and that was kind of to, sh to portray that Daniel's prophecy from back then was wrong and that his kingdom of Babylon uh, would not be destroyed. So the statue, it was made to look like King Nebuchadnezzar and it was placed out for everyone to see. And King Nebuchadnezzar kind of got the idea. He's like, well, I'm going to get everyone around here, and we're going to have a dedication to, to admire this great statue that, that I've put together. So the story here goes in Daniel chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. It says, Then the herald loudly pro proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpets, the flutes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of King Nebuchadnezzar. And the herald, being that the, such kind man he was, he also gave the people an ultimatum. He said, for those of you who wish to not kneel down uh, and worship this golden statue, then there's this awesome uh, warm furnace for you to be thrown into. So that's, you know, that's quite the proposition that the people were offered at that time. So the story goes, the trumpets played, and, and everyone kneeled down and worshiped the statue except three young guys. And, and who were those three young guys? That was, that was our guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
So I don't know if King Nebuchadnezzar, if he saw them three standing up or, or if he was just informed by one of his, you know, one of his wise men or informants that, hey, there's three dudes that aren't standing and worshiping as, as you commanded. So he gets ticked off and says, okay, bring those guys right up to me right now. I, I got to talk to them. So he goes on in verse 15. He says, he talks to Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego and says, hey, I'm going to give you guys one more chance to demonstrate uh, your loyalty to Babylon, it says. If you all kneel down, I'll forget this ever happened, but be warned, if you do not kneel, there is nothing, not even your God, who can stop me. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him and said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. So getting that response, King Nebuchadnezzar, it says in the Bible, became furious. I mean, he's the king, and, and everyone's expected to do what he commands, and these guys are telling him right to his face that they're going to do the exact opposite uh, of what he commanded. So his response was he got his, whoever's in charge of furnace and says, you guys can crank that thing up seven times hotter. So not twice as hot, three times as hot, seven times as hot. Uh, and I don't know what that furnace was made out of, but I'm sure it was red hot, and whatever structure it was at, I'm sure it was starting to warp because that's, I mean, that's a hot furnace. So he got his strongest guards, it says, and to, to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He said, you throw those guys in the fire. I'm a man of my word. I told them that if they did not listen to me, that they were going to get thrown in the furnace, and I'm not going to be made a fool of in front of all these people. So he got his strongest guards, tied them up, and the Bible says when the doors were open, the guards that went to throw them in, they ended up catching, it says catching on fire or were just burned alive because of how hot the fire was. So as, a, you know, they fell in the, they were in the furnace, and King Nebuchadnezzar was watching from a distance. And he jumped up and asked his, his, his advisor, he says, didn't we tie up three men and throw them in the fire? In verse 25, it says, look, I see four men, not three, walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the God that they told me about. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. So all three of them came out of the fire, and all the governors and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor a hair on their heads. Their robes were not scorched. There was not even the smell of fire on them. And then verse 28, it follows up with, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent a guardian and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their own lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. So King Nebuchadnezzar obviously had a quick change of heart after witnessing what he just saw. I mean, he just literally saw a miracle in front of him. So, and that shows here in verse 29. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. So the story, the, that chapter finishes out, and, and it goes on to just to say that, you know, after they, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they obviously earned a, a, good, a good part in, in, in the kingdom, and they were promoted by King Nebuchadnezzar. So in finishing up in that story, um, you know, these, these three men, they were willing to die for what they believed in, and, and what they believed to be right and just. So their courage in God was, a, was on direct display that day, not only to, to the king, who most people fear and, and serve out of respect, and, and fear, but not only was it their courage displayed to him, but also to everyone else in that kingdom that was there to witness and, and follow up with, um, you know, with having to, to kneel down to that, to the statue. So I think that's a story that we can all learn from and take something from. So as I told you before, uh, their great friend Daniel is our last courageous man that we want to bring uh, your guys' attention to today. All right, so the fourth story is Daniel. So at this time, King Nebuchadnezzar had already died. There's another uh, king in between, and then there was King Darius, 
who ruled over Babylon. And so King Darius appointed um, 120 uh, satraps, it says. So I, they're just um, probably, I don't know if they're like generals, but they're just kind of like help keep coordinated and keep, you know, rule over all the land. And then he appointed three ministers over the satraps and the rest of the people. And then one of those uh, people was Daniel. So, um, and, and, and so Daniel, um, you know, he, he was very, he's very honest. He was a, you know, trustworthy guy, very hardworking. And the king had actually had plans to uh, put him above everybody else and this right below, right below uh, King Darius. So it was going to be King Darius and then Daniel. So, I mean, he's going to rule over um, all the other people with, with the king, help him make decisions, and uh, he's going to be high up there. So, this, I mean, this really ticked the satraps off and the other two administrators. I mean, they were, they were angry. They were really, really angry. I mean, what, what is Daniel? Why is Daniel better than us? What, what, what is he doing better? What, what, where have we done wrong? And they, they were just furious, furious at him, it says. So, they're like, you know what? We're gonna, we're gonna watch him, see if he does anything wrong, see if we can charge him with something, see if he's breaking the law in some way or, or talking bad or blackmailing people or doing something, anything we can find. We're gonna nitpick this guy till his death and we're gonna see anything about him. If he does anything wrong, we're gonna go straight to the king. So man, they're watching Daniel and watching him work and watching him rule and you know, talking to the king and and they're, I mean, they're just watching his every move and they can't really find anything. I mean, he's a pretty stand-up guy. He's hardworking, you know, he's honest, he's trustworthy, he gets what he, he needs to done. I mean, he helps other people. He's just an awesome guy. And no wonder, you know, the king likes him and no wonder the king wanted him to uh, be, help rule with him. And they're, I mean, this really, really made the other guys angry. I mean, they really got ticked at this point. They're like, oh, he's, he's perfect, isn't he? So they, they started getting really mad, and they're like, man, we got to think of something. We just come together, all of us, and think of something. We got to kill this poser. I mean, we got to get him out of here. He's going to be, you know, he's going to be rolling over this, and that's, that's just not going to work. So they're, they're thinking. They're trying to come up with a plan. They're kind of running through, seeing, you know, seeing what everybody's coming up with, and they're like, no, he's, he prays, doesn't he? Yeah, he prays when everybody else is, is praying. He, he's not there. And then we see him with his, his windows open, and he's always praying to the God of Israel. They're like, yeah, that's not right. He's not praying to, to the King Darius. So they're like, man, there's, a, there's, a, there's our go. There's our plan. So we're going we're gonna to find him wherever he's praying, and whenever we're going to set up some sort of schedule or some sort of time where everybody has to pray to King Darius. And we're going to set it up for 30 days that if anybody breaks the law or worships another god, they're going to be thrown into the lion's den. So they're like, man, that's a great idea. So they're coming together, okay, let's finalize this plan because they're all, you know, high up generals and, and, and administrators and everything. They're like, okay, well, let's make this super, super, uh, you know, clean and, you know, not, no, no way to get around this. Like, it needs to be solid. That no, no one, <clears throat> excuse me, no one is at, can, like, not get thrown in. I mean, if anybody breaks the law whenever they're worshiping, they'll immediately have to get thrown in. Doesn't matter who they are, they're, they're, they're jacked. So it says they came up with a plan and they went and talked to King Darius and they're like, hey, King Darius, for the next 30 days, 
which people could worship and pray to only you, the king. And if they worship or pray to any other god, they'd be thrown to the lions. So King Darius, man, he thought it was a brilliant idea. He's like, yo, give me my, give me my ring. I'm gonna stamp this thing right now. Let's just, let's just take this thing and just seal the deal on it. And a couple of his um, other, you know, wise men or people around him um, with him, they're like, I, you know, they, there's, there's no going back from this. It's gonna be sealed and that's gonna be the law. I mean, that's, it is what it is. I mean, there's no turning back now. And he's like, no, that's perfect. You know, they, they should be worshiping me on, on that time. They're like, whenever we set that schedule, they worship me, I'm the king. So he stamped it and, uh, and that was that. He sealed the deal. So, and, and there, the other guys were there so excited. They're like, man, we're really gonna get Daniel now. So they're just watching his every move. And obviously Daniel prayed three times a day and, you know, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. <clears throat> and he was, he, he, Daniel knew, <clears throat> excuse me, that th- this law had gone into order and he, he didn't care. I mean, it was, he's like, okay, well, you guys can do what you're gonna do. I'm gonna keep praying to my God in heaven. I mean, there's, I, I'm not gonna be a coward. I'm not gonna go hide in a closet. I'm gonna open up my windows. I'm gonna pray and praise to God when I want to, and that's on those, those three times of the day. I'm not gonna change my schedule. I'm not gonna pray at night. I'm gonna be courageous, and I'm not gonna be scared because God has my best intentions in mind, and, and he knows that, that I love him, and I, I care, and I'm not gonna let a king or, or any sort of law um, you know, interfere with that. So obviously, it probably wasn't the next, next day or two, and they're, they're watching him, and they see Daniel getting on his knees, and he's praying in the morning or evening, and those guys saw him, there he is, all right, everybody sees this, let's just book it down, let's go, let's go kill this guy, so they all run out to the king, they said, hey, you would not believe this, you would not believe this, the, the guy that you said you're going to put in charge of everybody, he's praying, he's praying to a different guy, he's not praying to you, king, and he's praying three times a day in his bedroom, not on the set schedule, what's going on, and man, King Darius, he's he starts thinking, he got so headstrong, he got so, you know, self-righteous that he didn't even think of his friend Daniel, that, that Daniel had helped him so much and he was so smart in, in his kingdom. And he's, he's struggling with himself and he knew, he knew instantly, he's like, I should not have signed that. That was such a bad idea. And he's really thinking for a second. He's like, but I, I'm a king. He's like, I can't have anybody, you know, be breaking the law. I mean, I sealed the deal, and like there should be no exceptions. So he got his guards, and he said, "You're going to have to go throw Daniel to the lions. There's there's no other option." And you guys been to a zoo lately or a safari in Africa? Well, I went to a zoo with my girlfriend the other weekend. I saw a lion there, and I hadn't seen a lion in a couple of years, and it was doing that low bellow kind of rumble. Ooh, I was like. It gave me goosebumps. I was like, holy cow, it had it double fenced off. I was like, man, I would not want to run into that guy in the wild, and especially not being, you know, locked in a hole with a bunch of other lions. And I'm sure they're just starving them out. I'm sure they're just starving. They just want a taste of anybody. And I thought about that, and I was like, man, that, that would be a bad day, a bad day, a bunch of lions. So I was looking at him like, man, that's just crazy. So, I mean, the guards throw Daniel in there. I mean, he's, he's toast. 
he's gone. I mean, nobody's ever came out of the lion's den. There's a bunch of hungry lions. you kidding me? So <sighs> King Darius is thinking, man, he can't sleep. I mean, all night he goes, all night without sleeping, the Bible says, and he doesn't eat either, and no entertainment all night. And I'm sure for a king, I'm sure he's had plenty of entertainment. He's got drinks or some ladies or some dancing, whatever. He's always having a party, but that night it was silent, and he was in his thoughts. I really, really regret that. And he starts thinking and thinking, and he's just waiting for the morning to come. Man, I, I gotta go see if Daniel's still alive. There's no way, but I have to go check. So the sun comes up. It's the next morning. He said, brings his guards. He's like, come on, we gotta go check and see if Daniel, any way miracle that he survives. And he looks in, and Daniel's still alive. Not, not a bruise or a scratch or anything and Daniel says in chapter 6 verse 22 to 23 my God has sent his angels he shut the mouths of the lion they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight nor have I ever wronged you your majesty the king was overjoyed and he told him to his told his guards to lift Daniel out of the den and there was no, no wound found on him he was perfectly intact and just that's awesome I mean that's that's so much courage I mean um, he was not a coward. He, he was courageous in God to keep praying and keep his, his faith in God. I mean, through, through the law and the lion's den, and he, God pursued, and, and he was able to come out of basically the impossible. So the closing point of that is Daniel's bold prayers honored God, and God honored Daniel's bold prayers. So I think that's pretty amazing. I think we can take that into our life, that prayer is, is a true working miracle and and it's a blessing to be able to talk to the heavenly father whenever we want to and uh sheldon's gonna finish this out here with a summary okay so what i want to do is just kind of recap these these um you know these three stories we covered and and kind of their the difference they all were very courageous but they kind of had their own twist to you know i think courage is a very broad word so there can be kind of summed up so these are just kind of some thoughts dawson i had you know david he had the courage to face an impossible situation he was a young shepherd i mean he went against a guy you know in battle that was you know could have been easily defeated but he went out and and had faith and courage that he knew god would handle the situation and defend him like he had in the past and then when we talked about shadrach meshach and abednego these guys had a different take i mean they they maybe, uh, you know, weren't necessarily, they didn't know if they were going to live or not, but they knew that their courage to, to go forward with what they believed, and that they knew that that was right. So they had the courage to stand out amongst the crowd. I mean, and a lot of us, it's, it's easy to just kind of go with the flow and, and put your head down and not be noticed and, and be an outcast, you know, in today's world. But these, these guys are just a prime example, and, and they stood out amongst, you know, however many people were there and, and, and stood for what they believed. And then we finished up with Daniel and his courage not to give in. I mean, he had... A reputation and and a connection with king um, with the king there, and he basically put all that on the line to risk uh, and his relationship with God and what he knew to be right. So his courage not to, to not to give in. Uh, so rounding out, I I think all those guys you know had a very deep and real uh, a God confidence, and I think that's something that we can take. Um, so our final thought uh, before we kind of dismiss here is you know I think it's easy for us as humans to be you know I, I think our our default is to be scared, be discouraged, be doubtful. I mean, the list goes on. I mean, it's like a natural way for us to feel. If anything's troubling come, we instantly get worried. And it's, it's like I said, it's, we default to those feelings. Um, and we're constantly, I think whenever, and this might be me and I'm sure other people as well, but we're always, um, you know, we're praying for God to take us around the storms in life. Like, we're like, hey, God, this is stressing me out. I'm troubled. Is there a way we can just, you know, detour right around this? 
but I think God likes to take us directly in the storm sometimes and in the whirlwinds you know, of the hard parts of life because that is where his glory and his strength can be on display is through the troubled, troublesome times. So I think that we should see every uh, you know, challenge as an opportunity to see God's power and, and see him work directly in our lives. I mean, if you really step back and think about it, anytime we have a, a struggle or, or a worry, I mean, that's literally, we're getting a front row seat to see God work because he's directly working in our life. Uh, and so I think one person could argue that, you know, us living in today's world, we have these stories of, of David, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel that we can always refer to. So we could be held to a higher standard because we have these guys as role models to look after. Um, but I think the most important thing here <clears throat> is to be reminded that we serve the same God that these guys did. And, uh, and praise him that he never changes and is everlasting. So, and I think God loves the impossible. So, and the word impossible to me, I think that's a human word. That's not a God word, but I think so God loves it because that's a way for him to prove who he is. Um, and this is the last little question I want you guys to finish out with here. Uh, so I just want you to ask yourself, are your problems bigger than God or is God bigger than my or your problems? So I believe that our biggest problem is our small view of God. We always like to limit, say, hey, I, you know, we know we can do it, but I don't know if he will, but I think we're always trying to limit God to our level when he's you know, outstandingly bigger and more powerful. Um, there's a song I want to finish out for a closing song. Um, I believe, I think the lyrics will be up, but um, it just kind of talks about the way that God is and that, how he can work in our life and how he fights for us uh, amongst our problems and challenges. So after the song, you guys are welcome to be dismissed. I believe there's potluck afterwards, and so feel free to stick around in fellowship. Thank you, guys.